This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Great, good to see you. If you're not sitting next to somebody, I think most people have managed to sit next to somebody. We will be carrying on talking about community, and obviously if you're sitting on your own, you're going to look like you really uh, haven't listened to a word I've said over the last couple of weeks. So you might want to snuggle up to somebody. Uh, if, if you're single and they're single, hey, who knows what might happen. If you're married, please just be careful. Okay, um, my name's Howard, and uh, we're doing a, ser- a sermon series called uh, Vital Signs. We're looking at taking the pulse of what it means to be a healthy Christian and a healthy church. And we've looked at knowing Jesus, we've looked at practical ways to dig into knowing Jesus, and last week we looked at... Well done, Abby, thank you for remembering uh, that we talked about community. And so, in one sense, you, you could look at our uh, rhythms, we have the, these rhythms that we look, like to explore in church, so, so up is a, our connection with God, so we've looked at knowing Jesus and prayer, that's a kind of upward rhythm, and last week we looked at community, that's an inward rhythm, as it were, as together, and we're looking even deeper now, we're looking to a, a deeper inward rhythm about kind of changing our hearts. Obviously, you, you can probably guess what I'm going to be preaching on after we get back. Out, thank you. There's just some geniuses in this church. It's amazing. Okay, I don't know if you've ever picked up a Christian book. I mean, to be honest, I pick up Christian books and I think sometimes, really? Blah, you know, really? Thank you? Is that it? You know, is that really? We're writing a book on that? And sorry for my sentences. I'm sure you never do that. But, but there's, sometimes you pick up a book, and it, a Christian book, and it just, wow, amazing. I picked up this book. I've quoted from it before. It's called um, The Call of Jesus by Derek L. Worthington. I don't know why he puts Derek L. Worthington. It makes him sound about 55, about my age. We should call him Deza Worthington. Anyway, but what he says is incredibly contemporary. He lives in New York City. Uh, leads, it's part of a church called Trinity Grace Church, uh, led by a guy called John Tyson. You may have heard him if you've been around New One and New Frontiers and stuff. He's spoken different things like that. And, um, and he writes this. It's a very long quote. This is a great quote. I just, it's the start of the book and you just think, yes, so true. Let me read it slowly. It's a terrible mistake to assume that our world is neutral space. Far from neutral. The space we live in is very much contested. Our homes, families, neighbourhoods and world are up for grabs. And there are real forces contesting for them see the world not as neutral but contested. The universal, visible brokenness in our world can only un- be understood and explained by forces, seen and unseen. As broken and selfish people, we contribute to the world's pain, but also to cultural ideologies and systemic evil is at work. This is the kind of world in which every man, woman and child is being discipled. Our lives have been shaped not by chance and in many ways not by choice, 
but by forces that are vying to bend us in a particular way. We are therefore, default, by default, disciples of the world. When being discipled by the world, our lives move from faith to doubt, from love to insecurity, from community to individualism, from generosity to greed. And finally, we move from rest to exhaustion. Doubtful and cynical, insecure and lonely, narcissistic and greedy, restless and exhausted. These are the kind of disciples the world creates. I think, wow, struggle. But Jesus steps into this world to contest for a different kind of life. The kind of life found in the disciples that he makes. Jesus promised to transform and teach his followers a new way to bring them back from where where their lives have been taken to obtain what our heart aches for demands movement. We have to move away from something else, from everything else. Embedded in the life of discipleship is this mandate. We must move away from all other things to Christ. In Christ we find all things. This is the journey of discipleship. Great quote, isn't it? You think, whoa, we've got to, the world is forcing us into our mould. Paul says, don't let the world force you into its mould. And it's not that we're paranoid about the world. It's not that we're scared of the world. It's not that we're running away from the world because, oh my word, if we meet somebody who's not a Christian, if we happen to step out of the Christian bubble, suddenly we were going to become all kind of crazy and, 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 and ungodly. No, but actually the truth is that everything that we've been discipled, the world is teaching us to think. You know, every Disney film, my daughter will testify when we used to watch Disney films when we were younger. Every Disney film has got a little subplot, a little message that's telling you something. Every film we watch is discipling you. It's not that you're neutral. It's not that you run your life on neutral and then you can come to church and go God's way. The fact is, through the week, the hours of the week, the world is teaching you to live one way and when you come here, this is a small window to try and pull us back. So guys, we need to move away. We need to move away from all those things. We need to move away from those things that are determined called Project Self and we need to find Jesus. We need to move away from the black hole emptiness of cynicism, insecurity, loneliness, self-obsession, greed and exhaustion that's going to crush us in this life and the next. We must move away from it. Uh, Henry Bavick, who's a Dutch Reformed theologian, I didn't put his picture up because he looks too serious. But uh, this is a, a great quote. It says, The more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our life becomes. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God is put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. So while the world's promising us all these things and shaping us to all these things, we have to do something about our heart. We've got to step out of Project Self and go and, and step into Project Discipleship. We've got to say that we want to become more like Jesus. Otherwise, we're just going to be tired and insecure and lonely and exhausted. So what's the first way that we can move away from a, from a, 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 world, that's, a, a world that's shaped around ourselves to a world that's centred on Jesus? The obvious one, and I'm going to say this before I jump on to the second one, the obvious one is what? 
How do you change, you transform your mind and your thinking and your lifestyle? What's the most obvious way that can happen? Thank you, Rose. Outstanding. One brownie point to you, though, though it's grace and they're worth nothing, the brownie points. Um, you know, that actually, if you read Mark, say, for example, if you were to take Mark's gospel, I reckon it would take you an hour to read Mark's gospel. It's meant to be read quickly. I know we take, tend to take a verse at a time and it takes us a month and we say, I'm exhausted. But actually, if we were to turn off social media, turn off that dreadful rugby tournament and say, we're going to watch, we're going to read for an hour Mark's Gospel, that would be incredibly transformational. In a world of emptiness, you're going to find out a Jesus who's poured out but not emptied. In a world of cynicism, you're going to find that Jesus is graceful and truthful. In a world that's self-offsets and greedy, you're going to find that Jesus is warm and self-giving and loving. In a world that's insecure and lonely, you're going to find Jesus is wise and full of courage and shares his life with others. And in a world of exhaustion, Jesus is going to say, come and find rest. That's just all from Mark's Gospel. Read. I was talking to somebody this week, and I just said, if you want to become like Jesus... Take some time, this guy, particular guy, had time in his hand, said, take some time and just read about Jesus. He's the one we're trying to become like. He's not looking inside ourselves to search for the hero, to search for the person who can be all that we can be. We say, no, we're looking outside ourselves to him. So that's the first journey of a disciple, and we've talked about that. But actually, I want to talk about the second journey. Second, as it were, direction of, of a disciple, and that's not an individual journey, but it builds on what I said last week. It builds on a, as a community of believers. Moving your centre of your life to, to be centred on Jesus is not something you can do alone. It's not something you can do in isolation. It needs to be shared with others. In fact, my observation as somebody who's pastored in church for some years, the people who don't do community are the ones who tend to have the bigger pastoral problems. Now, whether it's because your, your hurts and your challenges of pastoral problems uh, mean that you isolate yourself, or is it because you're isolated and not in community, that means your p- p- problems get larger. I think it's probably a bit of both. But definitely, we find one of the first things I say to people, I say, do you connect with people? Do you meet with people who are Christians? Do you, you know, you're not around very often. And people think, I'm just trying to get more bums on seats. But actually, no, I think it's good for us to meet together. It's, it, Paul says, don't give up the habit of meeting together because actually the, the, the journey of becoming more like Jesus is done in community. So I'm going to uh, preach out of a, a familiar passage. I'm going to talk about this kind of relationship, this discipleship community. So let me read and then let's race. That was an introduction. I hope you found that. Helpful? You probably think that's a sermon in most churches, but not here, sorry. Okay, so um, heads up. So Mark 2, this is Mark 2, it's the first few verses of Mark 2. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this is where he'd kind of pitched himself, he'd moved out of the family home, and he's living there, uh, he's not living at home in Nazareth anymore, and so this is his home, so he'd come home, and the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a a, a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Since they could not get to uh, Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening of the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then there's a little discussion. And then he says, Arise, take up your mat and walk. Father, we just pray as we look at this small story in Mark's Gospel of your healing and this incredible community of friends who bring their broken friend to Jesus. 
I pray you'd help us to have the compassion of these men. Help us to understand our brokenness, that we all need to be brought to Jesus. Sometimes we can never get ourselves there. And Lord, I thank you for your amazing love and grace that reaches out and speaks life and forgiveness into this man's brokenness. Amen. Well, I've prayed my sermon, so let's go home. No, in Mark's Gospel, we encounter this paralyzed man. And actually, I've got no idea what it must be like to be quadriplegic, for, for this man to uh, live. What it'd be like in our culture to be like that, with all the kind of help and medical care. But obviously, in first century uh, Palestine, his world would have been a, a six-foot by three-foot mat. He, he would have needed someone to feed him, he would even need someone to take him to the toilet. Uh, when they didn't get there in time, they would have needed someone to clean him up. They would have needed to carry him everywhere. He, would have, he was incredibly and totally dependent upon somebody else. In that sense, he was a, a prisoner of a broken body. And he was never going to be free. And I guess if someone has a physical disability, uh, it's easy to see that disability. It's easy, perhaps, to, to care. Sometimes that disability it means that we back off, and that shouldn't be the case. But, but, but often that disability means well, we can see they need care. But actually all of us, in some ways or other, are, are physically broken uh, and emotionally broken. Alan Mann, who's a writer, I don't all like all his stuff. In fact, I don't like much of his stuff, but I like this quote. What I'm saying, don't go searching for his books. But here's a good quote from Alan Mann. There is a nice black and white of him looking duty. Our self has a sense that it's defective and has a basic flaw that ensures its unacceptability and rejection by those whom it loves most. What he's saying is we, when we think about ourselves, it's not some we've got some problem with ourselves, but most of us are aware that if people really knew me, if people really saw what I was like, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't care for me. If people really knew the secret thoughts and sins in my life, they wouldn't like me. And then we look inside ourselves, and actually we don't really find the hero uh, of modern psychology. Oh yes, what we find is somebody dark and broken. What we find is somebody who think, well, actually, I'm actually unacceptable. And if people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't love me. And in one sense, that makes us paralyzed. We're all paralyzed like this paralyzed man. We're crippled by the effects of what the Bible calls sin. We're crippled. We're all broken inside in one way or another. So let's, let's just say, your brokenness might be fear of the world. It might show itself as fear of the world. That inner brokenness might mean fear of the world. You're scared of what people think about you. Maybe your brokenness shows itself in an inability to trust people that drives you away from people and you always find yourself on your own. Always, even people close to you, you push them away. Maybe your brokenness is about control because insecurity and inadequacy means you've got to hold on to things. Maybe your brokenness shows itself in a crushing sense of failure. Maybe in a, your brokenness shows itself in a, terrible, a secret, something that's been done to you or something that you do. Maybe an unconfessed sin or a gripping addiction. Maybe your brokenness just simply shows itself in self-pitying loneliness. Maybe your brokenness is just your inability to admit there's anything wrong with you at all. Douglas Coupland, and I've quoted this before, he wrote a book called Generation X. Uh, this is a quote from him in another book. It says, nobody believes the identities we've made for ourselves. It feels like everyone in the world is fake now. 
as though people that once had true cause, but now we hide them away and replace them with something more attractive, but also less hollow. We've hidden, haven't we, the corners of ourselves, the brokenness of ourselves, we've hidden that away uh, from most people. That we're worried that if they discover our true selves, they won't like us. And, and so we've hi- hidden in plain sight, we've created identities for ourselves that we think will actually make me more lovable and, and more acceptable. But in the process, we've become more empty and more alone. Actually, some people think that faking it is what religion's all about. If you talk to people, some people think, well, faking it is, is what religious, religion's about. That actually, if you read the, 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 uh, the New Testament, there's a whole bunch of people who thought putting an outside show was what it was all about. Jesus called them Pharisees. People think, well, actually, the reason you do religion is because you're trying to, it's just a very, very good mask of covering your face. The reason you do religion is because, actually, you know that you're a really messed up person, but you put on this self-righteous, smug, religious ritual act of doing, keeping the rules, and that will mean that, that, that nobody's going to find out what you're like. And actually, church, its worst is like that. Jesus said, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous to people as righteous, but inside full of hypocrisy. That's mask wearing and wickedness. Think, no, it's not about that. True religion is about mask off. One writer said, there's no healing in hiding. Without community alongside us, the core of ourselves will never focus on Jesus. But what's this guy got going for him in his brokenness? He has got what? He's got friends. He's got four friends. He's got amazing friends. He's got gifted friends. There's a, a picture here of some guys carrying, carrying a, a man who was paralysed in, uh, in the war. And his friends who are, they're now no longer in the army. I think this is an American picture, to be honest. But uh, they're no longer in the army. But if you read the story, it's in the Daily Mail. These guys take this guy around with him. So they're going out with bound in here and they've taken this guy with him. You know, there's a sense where they're bonded and the friendship is powerful. And this guy, this paralyzed man in our story, has got some great friends. Now, we don't know why he's got great friends. We don't know why he's got great friends, because everything about his disability should mean it's hard for him to have friends. But I think somewhere along the line, somebody took a, a risk with him, and they got beyond his disability, and they got beyond that he's a project to be cared for, and they, got, they found this guy who they loved and related to. And actually, I think the guy's vulnerability uh, allowed them to be vulnerable. So it was obvious that he was paralyzed, but maybe one would say, you know, I'm paralyzed by guilt. Maybe another would say, I'm paralyzed by insecurity. Another one would say, I'm paralyzed by what's been done to me in the past. And gradually they found each other. They found each other. And as they cleared up after him and cleaned up his mess, he could start to clean up their mess. How do I know that that's true? Because I guess by chance, 25 years ago, I, um, I, I bumped across these three guys. I don't know if there's a picture there. Uh, so this is Pete, me and Matt. Pete, me and Matt, used to, when we were just married, we used to meet together at 6 o'clock on a Friday morning every week, rain or shine, uh, never forgetting. I found it incredibly hard to be there at 6 in the middle of the winter. It wasn't so bad in the summer, but we shared our lives together. We talked about, first of all, the good bits and the glossy bits, and we'd, uh, we'd all just got married, and we talked about how it was all great, and then gradually as we got going, you'd start to talk about actually what I am really like and what name he has to put up, and we gradually talked about our, got our masks off, we talked about our money, we talked about our challenges, we talked about our walks with God, and actually we did it for 300 hours. We met together, 
and prayed and chatted and cried and laughed and shared the Bible and said, do you know what your problem is, Matt? And they'd say, you know what your problem is, Howard? It usually be me, I'd be the most main focus. Pete, you know what your problem is? You worry about money. Matt, you know what your problem is? You like to be in control. Howard, you know what your problem is? You can't shut up. Whatever, I don't know. But we'd work through these things. And actually, it wasn't easy to start with. It wasn't easy. It was never going to, I've written here, it's never going to be easy to remove our masks and let more than just a few people into the deeper thoughts and challenges and dirts of our life. But without this openness, there's no discipleship. Somebody somebody's got to know you're inside. Somebody's got to know what you're like. And we did that. And actually, it's not just because these guys were the same age and stage as me, because they're not. They're they're all younger. But we're friends with them. We still do New Year together. We still want to go on holiday. It's difficult to get everybody in the same space, but we try and do that. These are guys are my best friends, because not because I've put a really good image and they've known me from a distance and they know how well I'm doing, but because they've looked inside of me and carried my mat with me. And when I'm low, they've carried me, and when they're low, I've carried them. And I didn't really know at the time, but what we were doing was discipling each other. It wasn't like as a church leader said, you're right, you with you and you with you. What we did is we just found each other and said, let's take off our masks and let's share our life and let's bring each other to Jesus. And actually that's what we want to do at God First. We, we've got, I've got a flyer for you. I know you got a flyer last week. Some of them ended up on the floor. Shame on you. Um, but I've got a flyer for you. And this week is, uh, we do this thing called Threes. And basically, it's just my experience and some of the experience of other people around. I know that in the States, some churches do it and they call it fight clubs. Which, you know, the first rule of fight club? Don't mention fight club, yeah? What happens in fight club stays in fight club. It's a bit like in threes, okay? So you don't go, hey, oh man, I was just talking with Paul Hunt and Harold and man, you know their problems? They're my three at the moment. Okay, but it's about, so we talk about how do we share life together? It says here, threes are made up of two or three, maybe four, we call them threes, you know why, because it's three, two, three or four people of the same gender who meet regularly for character conversations, spiritual growth, sharing life, and stir each other to be more obedient disciples of Jesus. And I made this very uh, brilliantly, a brilliant acrostic here of threes, time together, we'll talk about that in a moment, Honesty and openness, or honesty and confession. In other words, this is what I'm doing, and this is what's happening with me. Reading, applying the gospel truth to our lives, encouraging one another to, with words and uh, gospel living, and eating together, doing life. We're, we've got some work to do in our three on some of these. We're doing quite well on some, and we've got some work to do in others. It's not like you suddenly arrive at these things. It takes a while to build openness. But we, I want people to, to do that. And what, one of the things that's really powerful is that when your honesty triggers other people's honesty. People say to me, oh, the person's not open. Oh, that person doesn't want to talk about it. But actually, your honesty triggers their honesty. You say, you know what I'm like? They go, how on earth are you leading the church? And you go, shh, first rule of fight club. (laughs) (laughs) And your honesty triggers their honesty. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds, say it, mercy. Do you want mercy? I need mercy. Imagine what life could be like if all pretend were to vanish. I'm not suggesting it's, there's a film called The Invention of Lying, which is actually quite amusing. But I'm not talking about that. You know, does, 
does my bum look big in this? Yes, it looks shocking. No, we're not talking about that kind of <laughs> lack of pretense. We talk, you know, but I'm talking about that where we faking it. Wouldn't it be great if we stopped faking it? Wouldn't it be great for the inner sense of liberty and freedom of removing your masks and thinking, I'm not trying to be looked smarter or brighter or better or more like Jesus than I really am and the people still love me. Imagine a community of friends where we can make honest, trusting, loving relationships where acceptance and forgiveness are everyday realities. Imagine having non-judgmental, grace-filled friendships who challenge us when we need challenging but bring us to Jesus. Imagine friends whose first move is always to bring you to Jesus. If you don't have those kind of friends, you are going to be in danger. You're in danger of dealing with your own stuff on your own, but you're in danger if you're paralysed and need to get to Jesus and there's no one to carry you, you'll never make it. Because that's what's happened with these guys It takes time to do this. If you want to get connected and get open and want to be a disciple of Jesus and take off your mask and build real friendship, it takes time. John Ortberg's brilliant quote, his book, Everybody's Normal to Get to Know Them, says this, two two slides on this quote. It says, we try to create uh, first century community. You know what we've talked about about this. Extended families, slow, no, autom- no, no internet, no automobiles, no, no kind of busyness. Local agriculture, the rhythms of that, of that kind of agrarian society connected in around villages and land. We try and do that on a 21st century timetable, it doesn't work. He says maybe the biggest single barrier to, our, to deep mask-off connectedness for most of us is simply the pace of our lives. I mean, I have it all the time. Yeah, we must get together. Let's do lunch. Let's chat. Uh, yeah, it'd be really great. Let, let, why don't we talk that through? I even said it to somebody uh, in the thing. I said, let's, let's go to the driving range. I, I'm finding golf is going to be a great way to connect with people for me. I'm trying to work on it. But, you know, you do that, and how often don't we follow through? How often we say it'd be good to get together, and we don't. He presses on. He says, the requirement for true intimacy is unhurried time. If you can think you can fit deep discipleship community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, think again. You can't microwave friendship, marriage, or parenting. You can't do community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't mourn or rejoice in a hurry. Many people lack great friends simply for the reason, reason that they've never made pursuing community a high priority. You cannot carry someone's brokenness in a hurry. Discipleship, that learning to love and live as Jesus did, is a lifelong journey and you cannot do it in a hurry. But Jesus comes to town. This is not just about self-help, let's love each other, codependency community, where I tell you my stuff and you tell me your stuff and we all go, oh shame, lovely. This is where we say, there's a problem, let's, Jesus is in town, let's come to Jesus. So what they do is they hear that Jesus has come home, and they go and pick him up. What's happened is all the conference junkies have all got there in time, they've put their Bibles on the front row, you know, they've saved for the whole church, they've brought a busload, and they're all there, and then they're there, and then the, um, the kind of, what's in it for me? Oh, I hope Jesus picks me out and just has a, a nice prophetic word, I just see this. You know that kind of person, or, or the, uh, sorry, I pointed at you, Michael, I know you're not like that at all. Uh, or the Pharisees are there, they've got their Bibles. Let's just see what he's got to say. Ooh, ooh, I don't know how that checks with Isaiah 53, or whatever. And they've got, they're all there, and then what happens is these guys are the only ones who seem they've got a friend who's broken, 
Everybody else is mask on looking great. And they go and get their friend, don't they? And you know the story if you've heard me talk about that. They encounter a wall of backs. A church that looks like it's full of fixed up, put together people will never make real disciples. If you come to this church and everybody looks sorted and everyone looks fine and everyone looks like I'm doing great spiritually. And I'm not saying we want a, a church where everyone's doing badly. Don't misunderstand me, but what I'm saying is we're all on a journey, we've all got brokenness, we've all got stuff to deal with, and if we, everybody comes and it says, look, we're all sorted, you just encounter a wall of backs. There might even be people here today who feel all I've encountered from you is a wall of backs. I haven't been to church before, I've never been to, I haven't been to church for a while, and it's just felt awful, I've just felt a wall of backs. But the friends are determined, aren't they? They're determined. We need to get our friend to Jesus because he is the only answer. He's the only one. So they, 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 they carry him up the side of the house and they dig through the roof. I mean, metaphorically, that you, we need to dig through the roof, people. You know, in terms of, you're never going to find the real issue unless you dig through the roof. Sometimes people say, I'm fine. It's not really a big problem. I don't do it very often. But if you dig through the roof, and I'm saying, please don't dig through my roof. <laughs> but if you dig through the roof, you find actually there's something more. And we need to dig through the roof sometimes to get ourselves to Jesus. And sometimes that means you've got to ask the question. You've got to find out what's going on. But these guys, when they dug through the roof, I think they had the trust of their friend. They literally dig through the roof and they hold him eight feet high, lowering him down through the roof, one on each rope, lowering him down. Why could they do that? Why could, as it were, the equivalent of risking the gospel conversation, risking, do you know what? This is how I see you. This is how you come across. Risking that and not losing the friendship because they'd carried him. They'd carried him and carried him and they cared for him and carried him and built the time. So actually, risking the gospel conversation requires real community. I've written real trust because being a disciple of Jesus requires trust of others. Trust born out of time together. Trust born out of vulnerability and acceptance. Trust born out of honesty and openness. Trust born out of confession. Trust born out of faithfulness. And when you've done that, it means they'll trust you with that tough moment when you're hanging through the roof, as it were, spiritually, and you feel, oh, I feel so vulnerable. And every eye is on me, and he's thinking, I know they think I'm a sinner. My body's broken. It's a sign of my mess. I don't want people to see my mess, but yeah, I'm there. They can see my mess. We've got to go through the roof, people. We've got to go through the roof in those relationships where we get to those moments where you feel, well, this is really vulnerable. How's it going to go? But the truth is that actually, unless we go through the roof, our, our brokenness, our defectiveness is never going to be brought to Jesus. You can lie on your mat there, as it were, thinking about all the dangers, all the things that could happen if you told people the truth about yourself. The dangers that you could get dropped or ridiculed or rejected. But on the other hand, if you never go through the roof, you'll never get healed. These mat carriers literally crashed the meeting. I love their determination. Imagine we were here. Quite hard to break through this nice roof, wouldn't it? But imagine we were in a house and suddenly the roof starts to break. But Jesus allows the meeting to get crashed, doesn't he? 
Because what is more important than running a smooth meeting is people meeting Jesus. That doesn't mean that rubbishly bad organised meetings are going to help people to meet Jesus, but what it does mean is Jesus lets his meeting get disrupted. And then I think Jesus sees their hopeful eyes. Imagine, you can imagine these guys, they're lowering him down. He's so, you can see their smiles, you can see their eyes, and he's thinking, they're thinking, he knows what they want. He sees their yards, obviously they had to get some rope, I don't know whether they got some rope, he saw their faith as they lowered him down, crashing into the meeting. You can see the, the, the conference people say, but they never paid for a ticket! <laughs> I'm on the front row! <laughs> you know what, I, Jesus is just giving a prophetic word to somebody, and he's just about to say, Eloise, whatever, and then suddenly, bang, there's somebody else in there, what about me? The Pharisees are going, what? Really? Breaks in, doesn't he? He breaks in and Jesus says, to all their amazement, your sins are forgiven. It's a big discussion, isn't it? And they says, take up my mat and walk. We've got to be there, haven't we? You have got to get to that place. Whether you've been a Christian for years or you've never been, or you're not even a Christian now, you have to find yourself at the feet of Jesus with all your vulnerabilities Oh, uh, visible to everybody. Stand in the front of a meeting feels like that. Putting your hand up, saying, it's me, uh, I need Jesus. Feels like that. But yet, you know that what Jesus is like, he's not going to say, what on earth are you doing here, you broken fake? He's going to say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus himself lived without any brokenness, didn't he? He lived without any deception. He had no core of himself that was fake or anything that he thought, if they find out about that, they're not going to like me. There's a a wonderful sinlessness about him. There's no fake identity. He asked the question, who do you say that I am? Not because it was not obvious, but because it was shockingly obvious that he was God. Okay, but Jesus, think about it, Jesus is the ultimate mat carrier. It says in Peter, doesn't it? It says in 1 Peter 2, it says, He carried our sins in his body on the tree. His body was ripped apart. His flesh was torn apart. His brokenness was there for all to see. It wasn't hanging through the roof, but it's hanging naked in front of everyone. There's no ropes on him there, but nails. He's, he's bruised and broken. Jesus died and rose again. I think his father, as it were, if you let me stretch the metaphor further, I think his father looked up and saw him lowering us into the very presence of God. Lowering us in all our brokenness into the very presence of God at the feet of the Father the one who sits on the throne, the one who has every reason to say, get away from me, Howard, in your filth and dirt and brokenness. But he doesn't. The Father sees Jesus, sees his broken body, sees his death on the cross, sees his resurrection and says, because of him, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your brokenness is at an end. God doesn't just heal the brokenness that people can see. He's the brokenness even I don't even know about myself. John Ortberg says this. 
count on it. In community with Jesus and those you love, most of what happened to this man will happen to you. Sin will get named and dealt with. And although this sounds frightening, it's the best gift of all. We're going to break bread and we're going to remember that Jesus has carried you to the Father. That his broken body is there to heal your brokenness. That his, his blood was shed to give you new life. To say an end to brokenness. What I'd love you to do if you, if you want to be prayed for. If, uh, there's there's positive and negatives here just to help you. But if you want to be prayed for. If you think I'm so aware of this area in me of brokenness. I'd love to be prayed for. You don't have to say what it is. You can. People come pray for you. If you're saying, you know, I've never, ever, if you're not a Christian, you say, I've never come to Jesus. I've never, ever heard him speak over me and end to brokenness. Speak forgiveness and love over me. If I've never done that, then come to him. But also, if you'd like to be like Jesus, if you'd like to be the best Matt Carrier ever, if you'd say that I want to be the one who's full of compassion and grace to share my life with others, to carry others again and again to the feet of Jesus, and you say, Jesus, I just need you to fill with, me, with, my, with your spirit to let me do that and then stay as well. So if you're broken or you just want physical healing, Jesus loves to heal your brokenness. Well, if you're just saying, actually, I just want your heart and your compassion and your grace to carry the mats of those around me, Stay, we'd love to pray for you. Tony says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, the brokenness within, upward I look, almost like through the roof, upward I look and see him there, Jesus, the one who made an end to all my sin. Let's come break bread together. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.